Before we look into God's word, I have something to show you which explains itself well. There's no going back. I just got a divorce after 10 years of marriage. You can't expect me to just stop. We're just fooling around. We don't go all the way. Come on, I'm in my physical prime. It's unhealthy to deny myself. We're not ready for marriage yet, but we're ready for the next step in our relationship. Look, it's not like I'm out cruising bars or something. I'm in a committed relationship. Come on, I'm married, not blind. It's just sex. Everyone I know is doing it. What goes on behind closed doors in my own home is no one's business but my own. It's just a joke email my buddy sent me. It's just a video. I'm just looking for love. It's just sex. The church tells us not to. Those were rules created thousands of years ago before birth control when life expectancy was, what, 40? The world says it's okay. I mean, we use protection. You know what? It's really just between me and my boyfriend. It's just sex. If I'm looking for a commitment for the rest of my life, I just want to be sure that he's the one. It's perfectly normal behavior. Come on, it's sex. It's not a sin. I mean, it's not like we're committing murder. God created sex, right? So what's wrong with it then? It's just sex. It's just sex. I'm not a virgin anymore. He's got a divorce after 10 years of marriage. You can't expect me to stop. It's just sex. So what's wrong with it then? I have a feeling you've heard all those arguments, haven't you? Very prevalent in our society. My question to you this morning is, how much of it do you believe yourself? Uh, As I said in my email out this week, and if you're not on that email list and you uh, want to be on it, I often use that to prepare you for a Sunday like this. I have not preached on the topic of sex or sexuality in my 17 years here. Some of my thinking has been, you should know. What do I have to say that you should not know? It's common sense. And then, of course, is that part of, uh, if you can avoid it, let parents talk to you about it, especially if you're a young person, a teenager, uh, And the other part to it is when you do book studies, unless you do the book of Songs of Solomon, there's not much to preach about sexuality apart from where it comes up. So this morning, I I am going to preach on lust uh, and sex and all those things. Part of the reason is if our schools have the right to teach it, If media talks about it, why isn't the church teaching on it? And so this morning, I hope you're less uncomfortable than I am. But I'm going to speak on it, and I know there are not only teenagers here, but even maybe below that age group. I hope you know some of the statistics out there. And the reason I call it the secret sin, it's one of those sins that's actually very prevalent among Christians. I'm going to suggest to you, it's also prevalent in our church. Pornography. And uh, let me make some very simple statements Uh, there's no difference in kinds of porn. Anything sexual outside of marriage falls into the wrong category of sin. So uh, part of what we don't want to do this morning is rationalize. Statistics are that especially boys... By time between ages 5 to 9, they've already seen porn. Think about it. 5 to 9. Most children in North America are already introduced to porn. So those of you who think it's not a problem, you've got your head in the sand. You know, in good old days, the only way you got to see porn is... If you came across a magazine that your dad or an uncle hid away somewhere in the attic, 
or you went to a place that you dare not go, but you risked and you went. That is how you got introduced to porn. Today, if you have a cell phone, if you use a computer, it's just one click away. So, it's a serious issue. The consequences of it are deadly. And the sad part of it is, it's one of those sins that you could actually rationalize, make excuses for, live with it, and no one knows about it. And this morning, I want to introduce you not only to the sin of lust, what God talks about it, but I also want to talk to you about what uh, the nice part about this was God's idea. Sex was God's idea. And we don't talk about the good, we talk about the bad. And so this morning, let me put it into some perspective. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. In the Old Testament, you committed adultery if you slept with someone. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Look at verse 27. I have the wrong verse put down. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman, and depending on your gender, put the opposite gender, if you're a woman and you look at a man lustfully, you have already committed adultery with her or him in his heart. Let's keep that as the baseline for this morning. Lust is adultery. You look with your eyes at someone from, with a sexual motive, desire. Jesus says, you've committed adultery. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, another verse that I got wrong on my outline. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Here's one of the things I want to emphasize this morning. Lust, adultery, and every sexual sin out there is actually not a problem of, uh, to deal with sex. It's a heart problem. Jesus says, out of the heart, Matthew 15, 19, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. Say, if you are struggling with a sin of whatever kind, if it's gossip, if it's theft, if it's... Uh, Murder, if you feel anger towards someone, etc. Or you're struggling with porn. The root of your problem is the same with every other sin. It's a heart problem. Which is why the good news is, what does Jesus come to do? He just doesn't come to clean up your heart. He gives you a new heart. He takes away the old heart. And he puts in a new heart. And so this morning, I want you to look at all the sins we talk about, but even more this morning's sin about lust as a heart problem and that there is a cure for it. Let me make some things very clear this morning because uh, it's good to define what is lust and what is not lust. I first want to draw the distinction between whether you sin or not, and what is temptation? For example, most often I'm going to speak as a guy because that's how I think. So for you ladies, when I say, when you look at a woman, you've got to translate it for yourselves and say it, you know, when I look at a guy. Because I can't do both simultaneously. But I can think and uh, think and speak like a guy. 
So, what is temptation? Temptation is when you see a beautiful woman. And you're smart enough to recognize a beautiful woman. Once you see that beautiful woman, and suddenly thoughts go through your mind. Here's what you've got to realize. You haven't sinned yet. That's temptation. Now, once that thought strikes you, what you do with it is what results in sin or not. You see stuff all around our world today. Newspapers, watch a football game. Someone explain to me what has cheerleading to do with guys running with a ball. Absolutely nothing. And you look at some of those cheerleaders on the sidelines. Do you see what some of the cameramen do? I don't know about the rest of you people, but any of us guys who are honest with each other, there are thoughts that go through your mind. Now, women, don't jump on your husbands and go back home and say, Really? I am speaking on behalf of a majority of men, believe me. Now, when you see something like that, you've just been tempted. And I want you to know that you're not responsible for the temptation. We'll talk about what you do with temptation. But at that moment, that temptation, where does it come from? From the father of all sin, and that is Satan. So at that moment, you're tempted. You haven't. Now, here's my point. What you do immediately after that is the million-dollar question. And the more you dwell on it, the more you fantasize, the more you think, the more you get glued to that part of the TV, you probably sinned. So when you're tempted, you have a choice. And this is what I want you to know. You have a choice what to do with it. But temptation in itself is not sin. And I hope that helps some of you people to say you will be tempted as long as you're in the world. Uh, There's a great analogy of the crow's nest. As someone said, you cannot stop a crow from flying over your head. You can stop it from building a nest. So as long as you're in this world, you will be tempted. Here's another part that I want you to recognize this morning because sometimes we get confused, and that is the difference between desire and lust. They're two very different things. Sexual desires are God-created. God created us as sexual beings. So, right from early childhood... Uh, As you grow up to be young people, as teenagers, let me tell you, it is normal for you to have desires towards the opposite sex. Men and women, your sexuality is God's idea. And before sin came into the world, God said it is good. So just because you have sexual desires... And we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says, it's like a fire. It's a passion within you. And he says what you can do about it. But here's the second part I want you to know. Having sexual desires is not wrong. How you respond with it is what turns into sin. So make that distinction in your mind. It's like the pink elephant. You know what the pink elephant is? If I told you, don't think about a pink elephant. Do this exercise for about five seconds. I don't want you to think about a pink elephant. Got it? What did you do? You imagined a pink elephant. You know why? The mind is not capable of thinking a negative. So if I tell you, don't even think about a three-legged man, you actually imagine a three-legged person and you can't take the thought off. All this to say, 
don't try to subvert, to negate the sexual desire that God has given and created in you. It doesn't work. That's how God created us. So make sure you know that. I'd like to do, as we go through this series, of giving you a score to grade yourself. Last week it was on pride. And I gave you some questions just to say, hey, grade yourself. How are you doing in the area of pride? I'd like to do that this morning with lust. You ready? How are your eyes doing this morning or in the past week? Do you have wandering eyes? Hammy just said no, she doesn't have that problem. (laughs) I hope there's some laughter this morning. Since she's already broken the ice, you know what I've been fascinated for the past few days thinking about this is? Now, don't turn your heads, okay? How is Jen Lebo going to sign my sermon for today? Yeah, I have no idea. I think everything's going to be... Who knows? Amen. So coming back to your eyes, and this is especially to the boys in the congregation, starting at whatever age you are and however old you are. A couple of years ago, my son and I, we, we talked about this. And one of the things I told him, son, these challenges will never go away. How do I know that? Because before I got married, I thought, you know, once I get married, I'll be fine. Guess what? It doesn't go away. So men, how are you doing with your eyes? So boys and men, here's my challenge for you and I. When you look at a woman, are you looking at the eyes or are your peripheral vision doing a number on you? You've got to guard your eyes. When you go onto the internet, what do your eyes see? And let me tell you how tempting things are. This past Tuesday, Pastor Mike and Jason and I, we sat and we talked about this, holding each other accountable. And we talked about an incident that was in the news this week, and that is out of the Sochi games. There was, and this is how subtle and tempting it is, and I hope... You don't look at me and say, wow, is that that bad for him? No, it's not that bad. By God's grace, porn is not a problem for me. And as a pastor, I want you to know that. Not that it couldn't become, but by God's grace, God strengthens me for that. There was an article in the Sochi Games that, I think it was the Russian athlete. She finished her games and then it was so hot, she zipped down. She forgot she wore anything under it. And there's coverage on it. Who wants to know? But again, it's just one click away. And that's the danger of what your eyes could follow through. Your minds, let me ask you, how are your mind doing? What do you imagine? The danger about this is once your eyes see something, you know it, it's difficult to get it out, isn't it? What does your mind dwell on? Thirdly, how is your heart doing? What do you love and desire? What do you want? What do you enjoy? And if it is not things that are holy, you're doing poorly. So may I give you a moment, whatever gender you are, whatever age you are, starting with your eyes, how guarded is it? What do you think about? And what does your heart desire? Are there moments that you wish no one caught you? You wish you could do something? And if so, folks, uh, you are bordering or even indulging in lustful thoughts. What does lust lead or cause? And I'm going to go through this. I have a lot of scripture there, but I wanted to show you how dangerous it is 
Lust leads to spiritual death. You cannot compartmentalize sin and say that if I sin in this area, it doesn't affect my spirituality. Any sin of any magnitude affects you spiritually because God treats sin seriously. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter says, I beg of you, abstain from passions of the flesh. You know why? He says, it wages war against your soul. James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. I turn to that because that is a great passage on how sin grabs a hold of people's lives. It has much more to do than lust and sexuality. James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. And I am suggesting to you this morning that you can put a stop at any of these places because sin has a very predictable course it takes. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his own desire. So your desires make a big difference, right? You feed on it, you will get tempted. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is how it looks. The route of sin is it begins with the temptation. You cannot control temptation. I've already made that point. In fact, very often when you decide not to sin and you kind of put your boundaries, guess what happens next moment? You get tempted. Why is Satan's out to kill you? You cannot run away from temptation, but you can run away from sin. So Satan will tempt you. When you are tempted, this is the moment you have something that you can do. What do you do at that moment? You dwell on that desire, what the scripture says. It's like a pregnant woman who conceives. There's a conception stage. There's a gestation period. And you know that, right? The more you dwell on the sin, you start to get more ideas. And so when you conceive that and you're responsible for that conception of the sin within you, it leads to sin, and sin eventually leads to death. So I hope you realize how deadly it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 to 20. When you sin, and I hope you realize the gravity of sin, you are not only sinning against God, and this kind of a sin I'm going to share with you, you're actually sinning against your loved ones too. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it is a sin against self. And Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You say, why is that important? The reason it's important is your body is the temple of God. You are a holy person. And when you sin, you're sinning against God's temple. The other thing about this kind of a sin is it actually distorts reality. I don't want to speak too much about it, but especially for the younger generation, uh, the younger married couples, and maybe even older people, stuff like porn and all the stuff out there is not reality. You got to believe that. Because if you don't believe that, you know what you do? You bring it into your most intimate relationships. And then you have unrealistic goals and expectations. And to that extent, you're not satisfied. And I'm talking in the context of marriage. 
This kind of a sin of lust in any form will destroy relationships. And you know that, isn't it? You get caught. You're done. Isn't it sad in the ministry how many people get disqualified or get thrown out? Just this one sin. Oh, they got their doctrine all right. They're great at ministry, but they lose their ministry, their marriages, their respect in the eyes of their own family. Forget the rest of the world. If you're not pure, I hope you realize what you momentarily went to enjoy can destroy you for the rest of your life in terms of the things you would lose. Your marriage, your respect among other people, your children, gone. All for a fleeting moment of what you think will satisfy. You know, Paul Harvey uh, has a great illustration of how, do you know how Eskimos kill foxes? He says, very simple, what they do is uh, they coat the blade of a sword with blood and put layers of it, dry it, and put more layers, and then stick it into the snow with the knife side up. And then when the wolf or the fox smells the blood, comes for it, you know what it does? Licks against the blood. I don't need to tell you what happens after that. They kill themselves. May I tell you, lust and pornography does exactly that to your soul. It will tear away. And here's what you need to know, and you know it. If you've ever gone on to anything, you already know this. But if you haven't, let me warn you. Once you go there, your mind and your heart and everything within you is seared, isn't it? And then you've got to pray that God takes away those visual images or thoughts. So it distorts reality. It destroys relationships. And in the worst form of it, it leads to all kinds of sexual deviance and abuse. You look at the life of any sexual predator out there. Do you know the one common thing that they all have? They're addicted to porn. And I'm talking about porn, but I hope you realize where all of it starts is going back to the three things. Your eyes, your mind, and your heart. And if you are not able to deal with it at that stage, it will take its course. And so let me talk to both genders. I don't know how much you women know about men. I hope you do. I hope you know your husband. I hope you know your sons. This is part of our gender and the fall of sin and what it's done to us. We're not weird people. All Christian men actually are genuinely seeking to be holy. But because of the fallenness of our gender, this is a strong temptation that most men, if not are battling it, are, some are struggling with it. And I appeal to you wives, mothers, uh, I hope you don't look at your husband and say, is it that bad? I want you to know of a reality that is part of life on earth. And as I say that, I don't want you to think there's no help for it. There is in Christ. There is victory. But if you underestimate the problem, you are in denial. And that's my hope this morning is you would see this as a problem. And I'm going to give you some suggestions as to what God's word and scripture tells us to do. What's God's response and cure? can kind of now breathe a little better. Uh, accept and enjoy your status in life. What do I mean by that? 
If you're married, enjoy your marriage. Do you know how much of Scripture there is that tells us that between a husband and a wife, which is the context of marriage? Enjoy. Now, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. And the writer would also tell the wife the same thing. Enjoy your husband. So I want to set it in context that all of this God has a place. Song of Solomon is a book in the Bible. God left it there for us. And verse 10 of chapter 7 says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. That's a good thing. The place for good desires. Having said that, I want you to know that singleness is actually God's gift. I want to make that point because sometimes people think, hey, I have str- I'm struggling with this issue uh, I've got problems in the area of my sexuality. If I get married, I'll be fine. No. If you have a problem with lust and all kinds of sexual problems, marriage will not fix it. In fact, it might make it worse. Because you're never going to be satisfied. Your married status has less to do with your issue of lust. Which is why I'm suggesting to you, take it out of the context of marriage. And it is, it is a desire that God's given. But having said that, if you're single, I want you to know this morning, that's God's gift. Do you know how celebrated singleness is in the Bible? And we as a society ought to be a community that actually uh, comes alongside single people. Aren't we glad for Fabio's wife? (laughs) To those of you who don't know, that's Carol McCaffrey. A lady who's lived all of her life as a single person. Because God's called her to that. That's a calling. And when that's a calling, God gives you the ability to be pure. So I want us to look at single people. Uh, Divorced people, widowed people. And my challenge to you this morning is, in that status that God has allowed you to be, you can be fulfilled in Christ. And I hope as a church, when we see single people, we're not always looking at them and saying, I wonder why they didn't get married. Something might be wrong. Maybe no one took them out on a date. No, 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 no. It doesn't have to be any of those things. It's a beautiful calling and their privilege to serve God in that calling. So take this whole issue out of marital status. To those of us who are married, let me bring this into context because I think sometimes even in the Christian church, marriage has been elevated to a point of almost being worshipped. Marriage is not the be-all and the end-all of your satisfaction in life. Do you know that in, in the resurrection in heaven, there's no married people? And I'm going back to saying that if you're struggling in this area, marriage won't fix it. It was not meant to fix it. But having said that, uh, there is no marrying in heaven. So, in other words, we can deal with this issue irrespective of how your marriage is, whether you're married or not, you're a teenager or not, it's an issue that stands by itself. I do want to make a comment because I'm not going to preach on this sermon again. Thank God that this was only one service. (laughs) I only realized this morning, I don't have to preach this twice. God is sovereign. Saved me the agony. But I'm going to make the best of what I have. To you married couples. Study 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I hope you people read the Bible. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible. 
First Corinthians chapter 7 tells us married people how to treat one another. Because what Paul says is it's good for people to be single. But if you've got a fire in your belly that you can't control, go get married. And then he sets some very good principles that I want you all to hear. And that is, he says, first of all, your body does not belong to you. Husbands, your body is not yours. Whose is it? The wives should be saying, it's mine. Wives, your body is not yours. It is your husband's. Do you know what a great principle that brings into marriage? And here's the kicker. I love this one. Paul says, the only time you're supposed to say not now is when? When you agreed. But what's the reason for agreement? You actually want to pray much more. That's what scripture says. In other words, don't withhold from the other. But there's one good reason why you should withhold, and that is if you really want to pray a lot. So here's my challenge to all the married couples. I think you're praying a lot. Let's stop right there. What's my point? God's sex and sexuality is an idea of God. It's a gift of God. It's meant to be enjoyed in marriage. So to all my unmarried young people in the church, you've been looking forward to this sermon, I guess, right? Uh, I want you to know that biblically, sex outside marriage is sin. Despite what President Clinton said, all kinds of sexuality is sin. You touch, you look, you do anything that's sexual. Jesus said, you've committed adultery. Let me also say, the moment you have intercourse with someone, you're actually married. Scripture tells us that intercourse makes you one with someone else. And folks, young people, parents, I hope you, what a great, I've set it up for you. Now go home and talk to your children. Uh, You don't have any room for any kind of sexuality outside marriage. You're not a hero. Uh, If you ever go anywhere near one of those things. And some things you can never undo in life. And that's what I want to plead with y'all. You cannot undo some things. It's lost forever. So keep yourself pure. Is it difficult? Yes, it is. Can you do it? Absolutely, you can. And so it is something that God saved. Moving on. Psalm 119. So let me give you... Some very practical terms. In fact, I wish I changed my fifth point. I said some recommendations. No, these are also recommendations. Uh, You know what Psalm 119 verse 9 says? It says, once I find it, how can a man stay pure? Yeah, here we go. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep herself pure? He says, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander wander from your commandments. One of the first things you can do for yourselves, struggle against any sin. You know what you should do? Go into God's word. God's word is powerful. God's word can change the way you think. Remember I said it's about mind, heart, and eyes? God's word can change the way you think. God's word can change your heart. So dive into God's word. Walk in God's spirit. Do you know God's spirit is the third person of the Trinity given to you to work in your life? 
God's Spirit is in your temple, right there. Walk in the Spirit. Put off old habits. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Put off your old selves, which belong to your manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Uh, My plea to you this morning... If it's not a challenge for you, praise God. Go mentor other men and women of your own gender, please. Uh, Go help other people. Do you know there are people who need help? But if you are dabbling, if you're anywhere close to it, cut it off. Put off old habits and put on Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Whatever is pure, whatever is holy... Goes through a whole list. Paul says, think about these things. You have a choice on what you think about. And that's the way to deal with this issue. So let me give you another very practical solution to this. And that is rip out the source Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, one of those verses that people sometimes don't understand or misinterpret. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. What's the principle there? If your TV is the route to how you fester the sin, what would Jesus say? Not just cut cable service, get rid of the TV. If the computer is where you feed your lust, you know what some of you should do? Not go onto a computer. Here's another one for you, and you might say, oh, that's because he grew up in India. Oh, well. If going to the beach is a feast on your eyes, wearing sunglasses won't help. Wearing sunglasses is you don't get caught. Don't go to the beach. You have to do whatever it takes to deal with this problem. And folks, there are no simple ways. You cannot contain this. This is a fire. Rip it out. Because notice what it destroys. Even if you don't get caught, it destroys your soul. You cannot be a lover of God. You cannot be a holy person. And that's why it requires radical surgery. As I said, I wrongly said some practical recommendations. These are practical. Read your word. Uh, Walk in the spirit. They're all practical. But here are some things that I'm going to suggest and close this morning. Job chapter 31 verse 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? You've got to make a covenant with God. You've got to get serious people. And say, you know, absolutely nothing. Uh, May I make some pastoral recommendations? As I said, I've only got one shot at that. You know, very often people come to me and see in this church and say, did you see how she dressed? Expecting me to be the dress police in this church. I will not do that. You come to me, I'll tell you, go tell the other person. The Bible does, I love the word of God. It talks about everything. And it tells us, To be modestly dressed. So may I speak to the young girls and the women of the congregation. Dress modestly, would you please? I've already told you what it does to the men and the boys. Help them out. Help us out. Because once we see men are in many ways sexually motivated and things start to happen with their eyes. But women, 
it is touch. So to the ladies and women, and I hope you women look at yourselves and say, why would I want to show any part of me to a stranger or someone else? Why would I want to be looked on as just a piece of flesh? That's what it is, people. I hope you have much more regard for yourself. I hope you'll save all that God has given you for that moment of marriage and for the one that God wants you to enjoy with. But otherwise, in the daily course of life, ladies, you can play a great role, especially in the community of faith. And as I said to the men of the church, uh, you've got to do your part. Not moving. Here's another one that I do use in my life. And that is, imagine Jesus next to you. That's a pretty simple one, right? Every time you want to do something, see something, would you take just one second and pretend Jesus is next to you? Or when you're looking at someone else, could you just imagine Jesus following your eyes? If that helps you, use that. And let me give you a third one that having talked to men over the past 20, 25 years, especially in North America where your access to stuff is so much greater. I'm saying light therapy is good for you. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 5 and explain what that is. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, it says, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Here's a suggestion that I have for you. If you're struggling in this area, tell someone. If you think your spouse can handle it, tell your spouse. If you're not too sure, tell someone your gender. Secrecy is like mold. You keep it in the dark, it grows. And you've got to get serious to the point of saying, I'm going to do a gutsy thing. I'm going to confess my sin to someone else. Remember last Sunday we said, confess your sins one to another. That's biblical. Trust uh, who you confess to, and especially in this area, uh, bring it out to light. If you need help, get help. Uh, You would be a brave and a godly person to take that step to say, you know, I'm so serious about this, I want to get right with God and with people. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. You heard that? You try to hide it, you're not going to do well. But he who confesses and forsakes them will get mercy. Absolutely, I love it. Thanks, Andrew. And I'm so glad Andrew spoke up. And part of what I want us as a church to know, we need each other. And unless we are gutsy enough and loving, it comes to love. See, if I love you 
unconditionally, you should be able to tell me anything and vice versa. And in that context, the body of Christ is meant to build. It's not meant to destroy. The body of Christ is meant to encourage, not condemn. But it starts with us saying there is a problem. And that's why I hope you're not in denial for yourself or for other people around. Accepting that this is a problem, especially in our society. It's all over the place. Is the start to saying living holy to God means I've got to do something. We've got to do something. You've got to create boundaries as parents for your children, husbands, wives, and as a church community, we can handle this problem. I want to leave you with that confidence. There is no temptation that has overtaken you. That's what scripture says. Because God always makes a way for the escape. So as much as I've talked about this as a problem, I'm also going to end by saying, you have no excuse. You have absolutely no excuse not to deal with this. And with God's help and with one another, I wish victory for everyone in this congregation to overcome the sin of lust. Let's pray. Let me give you a moment of silence. I've talked, preached, told you God's word. But I do want to give you a moment where you've got to do something with the Lord for yourself. Maybe for someone that you know. But I want to leave the Holy Spirit in you. To do whatever God desires this morning. Father, we sometimes have gotten so far off your standards and have accepted what the world has bombarded us with as normal. And this morning, my prayer for us is that we would go back to the high standards of God's word. Where he says that even if I look, even if we look lustfully, think lustfully. We've already committed adultery. Cause us to run into your word. Run to Jesus Christ. Who is the one who can help us. Because he is our friend. Our savior. And a merciful God who, who forgives all those who repent. Amen.